as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Davis Rankin, would you do me the honor of introducing our next guest? Um, it's an honor to do the honor for you. Our guest is State Representative Terry Canales, who was first elected to the Texas legislature in 2012. His district now is Edinburgh, a little bit south, and then all the way up to Lynn San Manuel. He's also uh, chairman of the powerful House Transportation Committee. So uh, your highways are his business. He was also picked to be uh, one of the managers of the of the. Um, I keep calling it an indictment, but that's not what it that's not what it was. That's what it amounted to of um, Attorney General Paxton, uh, which was then voted on by the Texas Senate. And anyway, Terry Canales is here to tell us what he thinks. Actually, what we want to ask you first, Terry, is thank you very much for being here. But after uh, Mr. Paxton was uh, not convicted, he then said he was going to send letters to the district attorneys of of. Uh, in whose di- in whose district the managers were. In other words, he was going to send one to Terry Palacios here in Hidalgo County because you're in Hidalgo County, telling him he needs to prosecute you. It's a mouthful. Correct. But, uh, welcome. And what's on your mind today? Oh, great! Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> the attorney general is is it's campaign season, and uh, that's what he's doing. This is um, you know stuff to roll up is is the I, I think more than anything the people that are Republicans that are against him and rile up um, their opponents. Um, what's shocking uh, about him saying he's going to report the House Board of Managers, uh, not only is that meritless, but what I'll tell you is it's shocking to me that the Attorney General doesn't have the wherewithal to read the law. Uh, actually, if, if this was true and it was something that uh, we were to be prosecuted for, uh, exclusive jurisdiction lies in Travis County, and the fact that he can't get that right is pretty shocking uh, but yeah, I heard it. Um, it's it's absolutely without merit and yeah, nothing that I'm worried about at all. Yeah, the uh, the complaint was that his his personal address was made public by you guys, and everybody said his personal address was public on the tax rolls. And um, well, were you surprised that he was acquitted? That, not 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 only is it on a tax roll, uh, a simple internet search, but that information he's complaining about was published during the trial without objection by his attorneys and to oh. this day sits on the Senate website. And so the idea that somebody did this to cause him harm or to so-called quote unquote dox him, uh, his attorneys themselves have never moved to remove the exact same material and information. It's, it's on the Senate website today. Well, were you um, surprised that he was acquitted, not convicted of the, things that were no 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 i wasn't um so the the big mistake to me was um 
so they didn't make they didn't allow his wife senator paxton to vote but they didn't change the threshold either meaning they needed 21 if all 30 senators are there um Mm -hmm. and they didn't change the threshold and so if she wasn't going to vote they should have the threshold should have lowered to 20. in fact uh i've in conversations with several senators, that's exactly how many votes they had. They were only shy one vote, uh, which was her vote. And so had they moved the threshold like they should have, because she wasn't voting, uh, he would have been impeached. But since they couldn't get to 21, um, there was no, I guess, political benefit or, or benefit anybody was going to have. So they all just flipped the other way. And so those are the internal conversations. Um, I, I think the, the evidence is pretty overwhelming. Uh, I'm, been a criminal defense attorney for the better part of you know 20 years and i would tell you that um he wouldn't have made it out of a criminal court and i don't think he will when it happens state rep terry canal is joining us on news talk 710 kurv and one thing that i was curious about because i mean i had my own um uh i don't even know how to explain this not, 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 no, no, no. Sure. I, I didn't like the way that they went about it. It was very conspiratorial. That I'm like, give me something sane that I can run with, you know, to talk to people about, so I can tell this to normal people. It got conspiratorial very quickly. But what was, what was it like the over there on the, the ground? The, in, I'm sorry. When, uh, when Paxton was kind of explaining his case as to why all of this was happening to him in the, in, in, in the first place, he made it sound very conspiratorial. Oh, it's Jeb Bush. It's Jeb Bush and his son and, and Carl Rove is in there too. All this stuff started coming out that nobody had heard of until that day. So I wanted to know what, what, what was it like at ground zero in Austin when, uh, all this was going down? I know you guys weren't able to talk to each other a whole lot because of the gag order. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you that a lot of the stuff, was a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, it, it was really clear what he was doing. Um, and, and it's really, and it's going to be really clear when it, you know, anybody watched it. Um, there, there was, it was odd. It was a, it was a really, a lot of show, a lot of, um, I guess showing up and, and watching attorneys, uh, beat their chests. Uh, we had a room full of some of the best lawyers in the nation. Some of them not so good or some of them aged beyond their, their uh their prime um what i saw was more so lawyers trying to put on a show even for even from the house side and and uh and mm-hmm. the defense um but if you just looked at the facts they were pretty pretty darn compelling all right i'll get i'll get off of the impeachment topic for now thanks for answering oh, those questions but we, what, we we need we have we need time to talk about the special session davy oh. and uh school choice because that's the new drum that uh, our governor is beating on, on this topic so uh what uh what do things look like from your end right now uh representative canales i think school choice is dead um from my understanding um of the last there was um there was a bill that was proposed to the governor uh, that the House could get, that, that they had the votes in the House. There was a version of it um, that was put to the governor, and they asked him to expand the call. Um, inside Baseball says he said no. And so they said, well, then you're not getting school choice. And so I think that's dead. I think that what you will see is you will see some border security bills. Um, I think there's one that's two or three are going to come out. They should be on the floor by Wednesday. Um, kind of increasing penalties for human smuggling. I believe there's, there'll be one that's trying to get another uh, several billion dollars for building the wall. I don't know if that will pass, uh, but I believe that you will see two or three border security bills come out. But as far as school choice, uh, you'd knock me over with a feather if, if, if 
there was some sort of agreement by Wednesday. Davis Rankin, go ahead with your sure, question. I thought that I thought that the uh, school choice uh, or vouchers, the, the fear, as I understand, one of the fears about vouchers is that the money will then be given to religious institu- religious schools, whether Christian or Muslim, and that's the state sort of getting involved in propagating well, that's, that's re- one of religion. The, that's one of the arguments. But mm-hmm. what has to happen is they've got to create a, a special bank account for each student. And so let's just say today oh. that we passed full, full-on vouchers. It would take almost five years to implement it. And so just the logistics of doing this and, mm-hmm. and putting money in bank every single student is a logistical nightmare. Um, but, yeah, that's, well, you're, you're absolutely right. That's one of the arguments is, well, what if, what if it's going to go to a Muslim school? Uh, what if it's going to go to a Christian school? And so, and, and the other really compelling argument is this. We're like 40-something in education. Uh, one of the, probably the worst funded in the nation. We already mm-hmm. underfund our public schools a great deal, and that's because we're taxing people at some of the highest rates. I mean, Hidalgo County, man, we've, we're just killing people with property taxes. We've got to fix that. But the state has, has skirted its duties. The, the state went from, from paying 60 70% to now taxpayers that's why our ISD tax so high because mm-hmm. the states have skirted its responsibility. So now we're going to turn around and further underfund this, our, the, the entire cornerstone of our, the way we've educated people. It's kind of a giant leap. And so um, I think that if we're ever going to go to a voucher system, uh, it's probably best that you start with special needs children, like autistic children that don't yeah. really get all the services at public schools. I think that's something that, that I think people could agree on that, you know, we, autistic children or, or special needs children don't necessarily get all the services they need from, from our ISDs, but full on vouchers, I think is a huge leap and without knowing how this thing works and knowing we couldn't implement it for five years if we tried. We keep on hearing about this big pile of money sitting in the center of the room in the form of a budget surplus that we haven't had in a long while. And everybody seems to want a, a cut or a percentage of that. Do you know, uh, do you have a general idea of how that pie is supposed to be distributed? <laughs> you know, every, whether, whether there's a surplus or a deficit, everybody's up there fighting for their slice of the pie. Um, and you'd be surprised, you know, I, I, if, if one senator could, he'd take it all to his district or her district. And so um, how it will be end, end up divvied up. Uh, it's surprising that we had a once-in-a-lifetime chance to ad- immediately adjust, uh, for instance, retired teachers' cost of living. They haven't had a cost of living adjustment since 2006. Some of them yeah. can't afford their medication or they're choosing between rent and health care. We could have fixed that immediately this session. We didn't do it. And, and what does that say about us and what we think about you know, our education or our educators? Um, we have health care issues, mental health care issues. There's uh, so many things the reality is it's, it's, a, it's a blessing from God to have a surplus, but we also have so many needs across the board. Uh, you know, right now here in Hidalgo County in the summer, our jail, the, our state jails temperatures yeah. are soaring past 120 degrees inside. How do we fix that? And so yeah, there's plenty of places we could put. <laughs> yeah, commit a federal crime. That's, um, that's my advice. No, no. Get William Wayne to Justice to hear the case. Dig him up and let him <laughs> hear the case. He'll issue the order, put air conditioning in. Yeah, so, so no, 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 there's no shortage of ways we could use the money. The question is, what will they prioritize? And that's a lot of that will by and large depend on uh, the strength that the lieutenant governor has. He's, he's an extremely, he's probably the most lute- powerful lieutenant governor in the history of Texas. 
Um, and he wields that power with an, with, with an iron will. And what I will tell you is that if you ask me where that money's going to go, I would say uh, there's a 70% chance that it's going to happen the way the lieutenant governor says. Not the governor, not the speaker, not the house, how the lieutenant governor says it's going to go. Hey, thanks a lot for spending some time with us. We, we, we you appreciate much, you taking out of your time out of your real busy schedule to, to, to join us on the show today. That's State Representative Terry Canales joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Davey Do mm. uh, did the legwork on this one. We're talking about one of the state constitutional amendments that's on the ballot here today. Davey, uh, who's our guest and what is the amendment? The amendment's number one. It, uh, Proposition one, the right to farm and ranch in Texas. So if you're like me, you go, you have to have a, that's a, what, what's up with that? So call the Texas Farm Bureau and they turn me on to, um, to Brian Jones, who farms in Hidalgo County. And if, if memory serves, Brian, you were on the Texas Farm Bureau board. Yes. Good afternoon, Davis. Zach. Good afternoon. Uh, I, I do have the privilege uh, and opportunity to serve on the state board of directors for Texas Farm Bureau. So, why do we need a proposition? Why do we need to put in the Texas Constitution a right to farm and ranch? So, I guess before I answer that, let me let me read what it actually says. So, the proposition will be either for or against. The people have the right to engage in generally accepted farm, ranch timber production, horticulture, or wildlife management practices on real property they own or lease. And so while we may think uh, generally accepted is a vague term or kind of loosely worded, it's actually a, uh, a legal term. And that's uh, in, in the uh, penal code very often. And so what, what it does is there's been some municipalities that either through misinterpretation of some of their current laws or just kind of, um, you know, uh, for lack of, of better insight of trying to, to not understanding yeah. what goes on with, with farming and ranching, they've, they've made up some, some rules and regulations that really don't make sense and, and are not, not conducive for, for, for ag use around the, the state. You know, I, that just brings up I, a lot so, of questions because I know that if, uh, well, how, how does this become a problem in the first place? And, and two, like, what is, who are people and what does farming entail? It, like, if I get a, if I get a potted plant and put like tomato seeds in it, that doesn't make me a farmer. <laughs> correct, Zach, correct. And, and there's no really examples here in the Rio Grande Valley, but up in the DFW Metroplex, there have been some. And, you know, one of them, was uh well I was talking about misinterpreting some of the current laws is they were trying there's a town 
in the Metroplex that was trying to apply their weedy uh, lot ordinance to any ag zoned open space land. And so they were taken quite literally on the books where it said that the grass can't be any taller than four inches and applying that to a farmer's hayfield. And so while the <laughs> farmer was there at City Hall fighting that, well, the city went out and mowed his 20 acre hayfield. And so not only <laughs> did the farmer lose his hay, to pour salt in the wounds, they sent him a bill for doing it. So, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a thing. And then some, some of the uh, other things that, that we come across is there's a, there's a, a municipality up there that uh, has banned barbed wire on perimeter fencing. You know, I know, Davis, you're a historian of Texas, and barbed wire is what tamed Texas. Yes, so, yes. I suppose because it's hard when people crawl over the barbed wire fence, they get cut up or get caught up and uh, it's um, it presents another problem. But um, yeah, so this puts into law the the, 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 the barbs aren't on there to to keep people from crawling in. The barbs are to keep the animals from getting out. And so the the fences are put there to to keep the animals in in the fence, you know, and not not, uh, the other way around. Have you? So yeah, this um, was this was put into law. Uh, actually, this was a two pronged approach that Texas Farm Bureau kind of tackled with uh, Chairman Dwayne Burns, who's the uh, Land and Resource Management um, Committee chairman. And so there was one uh, set two two uh, parallel running bills in in the state legislature this year and one of them was to codify it and put it into law and governor abbott's already signed that and so it's effective september 1 and one of the things that the legislator legislature tasked the uh texas a&m agri-life extension service to come up with a manual or a set of guidelines that that really outline what are generally accepted farming and ranching practices uh, across the state of Texas so that the, the cities and municipalities can, can go to this book and say, you know, if they're trying mm-hmm. to, to come up with laws or regulations, well, you know, to see what does fit in with, with uh, what are things that are generally accepted. But what Brian it does Jones do, is it with the Texas allow- Farm. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me uh, reintroduce you to our audience real quickly. Uh, Brian Jones is with the Texas Farm Bureau. We're talking about Texas constitutional amendment proposition numero uno on uh, 710 KURV. Uh, Brian, I'm, I don't know where you farm, but um, have you uh, in yourself encountered or do you know anybody down here who has run into a situation like the one up in North Texas where they apply the weedy lot ordinance to to land being used for production or um, just, I- just ignorance of agriculture as the towns have grown very quickly and they grow and you can be side by side a housing subdivision with a cotton field. Not, not correct, have, you, correct. have y'all run into any of these problems? The, I, I farm in the mid Valley and no, sir, not, we haven't, we haven't come up with any of that. I mean, most of the time we'll, you know, you'll have some inquisitive neighbors and that kind of stuff. And you just kind of talk to them and explain what you're doing, how, how things work on the farm and, and uh, end up making some new friends over all of that. They, you know, people moving out into the, to the country and stuff want yeah. to, uh, see see what goes on and and once you explain how things work and how you do things well then you know you you make some new friends over over all that but no we haven't really experienced this in the Rio Grande Valley yet 
And so we're trying to, to uh, avoid, avoid mm-hmm. that before we do. So you know, on this propositional amendment, uh, should we be in favor of or against it, just to clarify? Well, I'm in favor of it, and so I would ask that uh, you and your listeners vote in favor of it as well. I mean, it's something that the Texas Farm Bureau has, has put in uh, a lot of work and effort into uh, protecting the, the rights of, of farmers and ranchers and agriculture in general to be able to, to, con- to continue to feed and clothe our, our state and nation. Yeah, I don't think there's any organized opposition. I, I, uh, I, was, I was searching for organized opposition as we spoke, but um, without without a, a you know, campaign, I, I don't think it would be successful. Right. You know, I think really our biggest hill to fight, Davis, is is voter apathy. You know, yeah. I think that with with this uh, election season right now, there's not a big um, name or big race on the top of the ballot to draw people to the polls and so i know there's some there's some citywide races that have mayorals or or uh, city councils but uh where i i looked at my sample ballot over the weekend and where i reside out in the country mine my sample ballot is these 14 uh, state constitutional amendments and one uh school district proposition and that's the Hmm. only things that are on my ballot and so I think that that voter apathy may be the the biggest thing yeah. that we're facing. Also, yeah, we, don't, we don't have a lot driving the 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 go to the polls, uh, well, th- the the go TV effort. Correct. Yeah, there we go. I uh, also think that the uh, the political back and forth and the general hostility that's that's a turnoff. It turns people off of t- turns people off of politics. Um, and so they don't go to vote. I don't guess anybody gets up in the morning and goes, geez, I can't wait to vote on the Texas constitutional <laughs> amendments, <laughs> except farmers. Vote, exactly yes right. on the, vote yes on proposition one. Vote yes on proposition one. You were talking about the, the political hostilities and everything. That's one of the neat things that we saw with this, this passed unanimously through the, both the, the Texas house and the Texas Senate, not a single person voted against it. So it's not a, Oh. R issue and D issue or a blue versus red or anything. It's just uh, everybody coming together for to band together to support agriculture across the state. Uh, well, we'll, we'll end on that uh, optimistic note. Thank you very much, Brian. We appreciate it and good luck. And uh, I'll say for me, vote yes on Proposition 1, the right to farm and ranch in Texas. Exactly. Listen, All right, News Talk 710 KURV. This is your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voice heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Okay, hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she the judge? Stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's on the ballot for uh, early vote right now and for election date November 7th. Texas Proposition Numero Siete 
creation of the state energy fund is part of the constitutional amendment and to help break this down for us we're heading to houston we're going to university of houston energy fellow ed hers from uh, energy economics at uh, university of houston joining us now so prop seven has to do with the creation of a state energy fund and uh, what is what is this where are they going to get the money for this and uh well if the, if it passes where are they gonna get the money for this and where's it going to go well, they're getting the money from, from us, of course. It's taxpayer money. It's, and um, where is it going to go is interesting. I'm not sure that the generation companies are going to want to, to borrow because they can't build natural gas-fired power plants on this grid and make a living. Um, we know that they're going to be used less and less frequently going forward over the years, so there's going to be less and less opportunity for them to actually make money. Um, and so even, even if it's, it's a cheap loan, if you're not going to make enough money to pay back the, the equity and the loan, then why would you build it? And in fact, the incentive on the grid is not to do that. You know, Davis and I had a power company and we had 10 units. We really wouldn't want to go buy and build five more just to make sure the price stays down. I'd like to see the price up if I'm a generator company just like we saw this summer where $8 billion got lifted out of our collective pockets to, to um, um, you know, provide bonuses and, and stock buybacks for the generator companies. And that, and that money went to everybody. It went to the wind and the solar guys as well as the coal and the nukes. Um, Mr. Here's, this is Davis Rankin. How can, you, how can you say they don't have any money? I alone am supporting some... My, of course, part of this is my fault or our fault for, for uh, the way the house is built, et cetera. But my power bill is ferocious. I mean, it's- oh, absolutely. And, and that's all going into some bonuses. Those companies, you know, because of the way ERCOT operates, if we add more capacity, we're not going to see high prices. Um, and, and so the, the way we, we've seen these 5,000 per megawatt hour uh, charges over the summer, or five dollars per kilowatt hour, if we put that in terms of what your uh, your retail bill is, that's that's all going to profits right off the top. And you know, we had the meeting last week with the ERCOT board of directors and the Public Utility Commission. You know, the CEO of uh, Pablo Vegas of, of mm-hmm. ERCOT said, "Well, that eight billion dollars really isn't real money. You know, your retail provider had had actually hedged and." had bought forward, and so they're not really losing that kind of money. Well, number one, that's that's not true. We saw Reliant Energy issue all sorts of conservation warnings over the summer that were independent of ERCOT. And, and then number two, you kind of got to think, well, you know, Vegas is sounding like the fire starter who says, yeah, I burned down your neighborhood, but that's not an issue because all the houses had fire insurance. Well, there you, there you go. Um, uh, joining us on 710-KURV from University of Houston, uh, Ed Hurst joins us now to talk about Proposition 7, which would authorize the state ledge to allocate funds for the modernization of electric generating facilities. Davis Rankin, you had your hand up. The, uh, the Ed Hurst uh, generation company wants to build uh, a power generating plant of some sort. So you go down to whatever bank and you say, I'd like to borrow, I don't know, want to borrow $500 million, and they say, well, you got to fill out a credit report. Anyway, um, can they not do that? Do they need lower-cost financing through the state of Texas? 
Uh, no, the bank's not going to give them anything because they're not going to make any money. Uh, hmm. I mean, suppose suppose I, uh, you know, Davis, I, I know your financial situation. You're you're a well-paid radio host and and, and talk choking. show host. And <laughs> da- you're, Davis is choking. I need to get on the Heimlich right now. Well, you you've got to be paid better than a you know economist at the University of Houston. And, <laughs> that's uh, debatable. That's and, debatable. <laughs> no, no. So, so let's say true. let's say we have. We have three percent loans, and yeah. and I want to go buy a million dollar mansion. I go to the bank, and they go, "Well, yeah, you know, you're only making twenty five, twenty five hundred dollars a month. I'm not going to make you that loan, even even though it's low interest. You have no way of paying that back in 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 five lifetimes." Mm-hmm. And that's what's facing the the generators who who might want to come in and build. Wall Street's not going to give them the money for it, and and especially because it makes a hell of a lot more sense to keep the market in a short position for them. I, I know this goes back farther, but let's start back at the, the the winter storm of 2021, which is when a lot of this stuff was really forced to be brought to light to the entire state uh, for the modernization of our electric plants here. Uh, what, what needs to be done? And I do remember the idea being floated around, well, they're going to get their money one way or the other. They're going to either get the money through raising their rates in some way, or uh, if, if something like this passes, they're getting their money. That's, that is absolutely right. And um, the fact is, you know, the, the way we're doing it today is, is we paid the $8 billion, for example, over the summer, um, but we're not getting any new power plants built for that. So we're, you know, had we spent the $8 billion or $10 billion back in 2021 and built those, those power plants, we would have, we would have had a, a much better summer of it. And, you know, prospectively the much better winter in the next several years but at the current rate you know just saying well here's some cheap loans but you know obviously nobody's going to take us up on them because we haven't changed the rules of how we compensate folks in this market what what um, oh i'm sorry uh uh, ed hearst is a uh, energy economics uh, professor over at University of Houston, our guest on 710 KURV. We're talking about Prop 7, which has to do with energy. Go ahead, Dave. My, my guess is you would recommend voting no on Prop 7, but what, what, sh- what should the legislature or the state do? We need to change the way we, we operate this grid. Uh, as you remember, Reagan's uh, nine most feared words in, in America – I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. Uh. And so Governor George W. Bush and the legislature uh, decided to break our electric utilities apart. In the old days, the electric utility made the decision on optimizing the portfolio of power plants. Today, ERCOT does that on a daily basis. And, and lest you be very surprised about this, keep in mind that Supreme Court Chief Justice Nathan Heck just a few months ago declared ERCOT to be an arm of the state. Now that's language we haven't seen used since the Cold War. Yeah. But but we have an unaccountable, unelected body, basically at the the core of the supply chain of electricity, and it cannot make investments. It can only kind of provide some incentives, but it. You know, as my, my second grade teacher said, you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. 
Yeah, a lot of this, uh, it, it does feel like a bailout uh, from the from the state of Texas to the energy companies. Oh, to, oh, we have the bailout already underway, you know, from URI, the $3 billion that we lost then. And out of the $3 billion, it's entirely possible that we will be bailing those, those retailers out, uh, you know, for the next several years as well. I, I got a, I got about uh, I got about thirty seconds here to uh, to to wrap this up, Professor Hers. Uh, what should people be thinking about this when they vote on Prop Seven? Um, yeah, I don't think Prop Seven is going to to amount to anything, and so you know their choice on how they want to vote. As for me, I, I'm voting against it. Uh, it's not going to add anything uh, useful, and I think the onus really needs to be back on the governor and the legislature to come up with a workable plan. Hey, thanks a lot for spending some time with us here today, as usual. That is Energy Fellow Ed Hers over at the University of Houston, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Well, I wanted to get to the bottom of this because you always hear about the on the national level about the gloom and doom about the housing market and how uh, home sales are either declining and you got high mortgage rates and you got this and that. And I go, well, what's happening over here in the Valley? Cause they always talk about like Dallas, Fort worth and <laughs> you never see anything about anything more local. So I, I decided, Hey, you know what, you know, who'd be a great person to talk to is Lee Jinks from greater McCallum uh, realtors association of realtors. And uh, he joins us now. So I I'm sure you're in this wild tornado of headlines and you, and you probably have a different opinion about what's going on. What do you, what do you, what, how is uh, the bird's eye view of our real estate market in, in uh, McAllen area doing right now? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, oh. Yeah, I, the market is, is <laughs> I've been in real estate for a long time and it, and it's always, you know, we've never seen this before is what we're always saying. When I got into real estate, uh, interest rates, uh, the prime rate was like 20%, I'm sorry, 12% with mortgage rates around 18%. So um, th- these uh, 7 and 8% rates or 7 8.5% rates now are don't scare me, but it doesn't really help the situation because it does uh, cause the, uh, the buying power of the, um, of the purchaser to come down quite a bit because if the interest rates go up, I can afford a whole lot less house. Well, let's uh, let me ask it like this then. What what do we have going for us so far, and what are some of the challenges coming up? Uh, well, I think interest rates really are probably the biggest challenge. Uh, we've got to get that under control. We've got to get our inflation under control because that's what drives uh, what's what driving all of that. Um, if I'm looking at stats right now, though, uh, we're starting to see statewide the the prices are starting to soften, but we're here in the valley. Uh, prices have still been pretty pretty consistent, uh, though days on market, I'm not days on market, but months of inventory are starting to increase. 
days on market increasing a little bit, but not significantly. But but our months of inventory are starting to creep up. So uh, houses uh, are are not selling as um, I guess rapidly as they had been, or the numbers of sales uh, has been um, d- dwindling a little bit, but not. A, I mean, it, it, it's still fairly steady. Um, it it's um. It's still a very interesting market. You know, prices uh, statewide have come down a little bit, but here in the Valley, they're still going up. Joining us on 710 KURV is Lee Jinks from Greater McAllen Association of Realtors, and we're talking about our local um, housing market here. And how much of this, uh, how much of this is, how much of the fluctuations are caused by seasonal changes? We're about to hit that holiday shopping season. Are people on the market for houses? Uh, yeah, if you look historically, uh, during the summer, that's when most people are moving. It's because of, you know, you've got people getting in, I mean, getting their kids in and out of school, uh, during the summer time frame. Um, the market tends to, to begin to soften a little bit in terms of numbers of sales from, uh, let's say November through about the end of January. And then in February, they begin to pick back up just a little bit until until we get to the summer time frame. So that's seasonal. That's typical. Davis Rankin, your question. Go ahead. Um, do you what, what are the one or two or, or ever how many uh, economic indicators that you look at by which I mean uh, that dull, boring stuff in the back of the Wall Street Journal, the, the statistics? Yeah. What do you look at that? Um, tells you the health of the economy yeah well and it, it, if i'm looking at it from the real estate market that month yeah, of inventory it. is a is a real good one where you just say hey uh it's six months of inventory you pretty much got a balanced market below that you've got a um, a seller's market and above that you've got a a, a buyer's market okay. that's okay. not exactly accurate but it's if you were going to try to group it that's how you would do it um that's probably the biggest one, but then when you start looking at, as we've just mentioned also, uh, mortgage rates, as mortgage rates go up quite a bit, uh, I can't afford as much house. Now, we're still seeing, though, um, a lot of cash buyers, a little over a quarter of our cash buyers this year, I'm sorry, a little over a quarter of our buyers this year have been cash buyers, and then about 27% of conventional and about 35% uh, have been FHA. Uh, and that's the that's the big bulk of that's over ninety percent of our sales. So um, it's still significant that you have that many cash buyers. Now in two, 2020, about fifty percent of our buyers were cash buyers. When you say which cash, is extremely rate, abnormal. We bought with a mortgage, but I mean that that amounts to cash to the seller. Well, I, I don't true, understand what when you, you get a, cash. Yeah, right. So the, the the seller's always going to get cash at the end of the day. But if I walk in and write a cashier's check out of my bank account, I don't have to wait for the mortgage process to go through it. They don't have to check my credit. They don't have to check uh, oh. my verification of employment. I don't have to, you know, all of those things that have to go through to get the process, get the thing sold. If you're a seller and you've got somebody who's going to get an FHA loan and then you've got another buyer, maybe $1,000 less in terms of their offer, but they're offering cash you might be better off taking that cash offer because you know that one's going to close. Whereas the FHA offer, the buyer might not qualify at the end of the deal or maybe the house doesn't appraise or something like that. Whereas with a cash offer, we don't have to go through all those, those don't have to jump through all those hoops. 
Where do we're, people we're talking get cash? We're, we're like talking that. about Sorry. the uh, local real estate market with Lee Jinx of Greater McAllen Association of Realtors. One thing I do want to ask is uh, if you have the information. If not, then it's cool because I'm putting it on the spot on this one. But uh, are we getting? Are we still getting uh, out of towners interested in uh, some of these houses and and properties, or is it just people that hey, you know, I've got a new job opportunity, I want to jump ship? No, we're still seeing a lot of uh, out-of-town investors actually still purchase uh, fourplexes, apartment complexes, even single-family homes. And I'm also seeing a trend uh, with those investors starting to put those homes into an Airbnb um, um, makeup mm. versus uh, long-term rentals. An Airbnb, I really? Yeah, they they're, well, they end up making more money, I suppose, at the end of it. It's a lot more hassle. Uh, and even an Airbnb, they might rent it out for, you know, to like a corporate type uh, rental for, you know, three, six or nine months or so. Whereas um, on those um, long term rentals where their one year is like the minimum, um, that's that's the standard. That's typically what we we do a lot of. I've got a, a question which betrays my prejudice. I, I, I just I'm hostile to these um, people who buy houses um, and, and then toward the day when they can rent them out to people who can no longer afford a house or um, I, I'm just hostile because I think it distorts the market for folks who just want to buy a house to raise their children in. So tell me where I'm wrong. I don't know that you are. Um, you know, I've looked at that situation. Um, I guess if I were to try to argue against it, I would say, hey, look, uh, I have had people tell me that they take the house off the market. And I say, no, they're not taking the house off the market. They're just putting it into a different part of the market. So there are plenty of people who cannot afford uh, to buy a house. They don't have the down payment. They don't have the credit, uh, mm -hmm. but they can rent. And so, you know, if I can if I can get into a house because somebody else purchased it, and is able to rent it to me, then, you know, that is, that's, um, that's offering a solution or a, a, to a need that the market has. Uh, and not everybody can afford to purchase. So that's just the, uh, I guess that's just the way it is. Um, Lee, for, Lee, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, I want to hear support from my people. point of view. <laughs> Davis. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I mean, I see your point because if it, it, well, no, no, but here, here is on the other side of that coin, uh, if if you've got a lot of purchasers out there, people, investors who have a lot of money, they can pick up these homes. Um, I can tell you right now, even if you could afford with a down payment and have the credit to be able to buy what I call a starter home, you're going to have a really hard time finding one. What what advice would you have for, for, for people that are looking for a house right now? What would you say to them? I'm sorry, say that again? I apologize. You were talking. Um, if uh, if somebody had a, it, what advice would you have for people that are looking for their for a house right now? Well, again, it just depends on 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 what which market they're in. In other words, are we talking about uh, um, you know a larger luxury home? Or are we talking about the fr uh, starter homes um, or somewhere in between? Maybe this middle uh, this middle ground of uh, middle income. Tell you what, um, starter home. That's a good. That's a good way to start. Yeah, let's do that one. Let's see the, okay, and and that that's the hardest one. I'd rather not do that <laughs> because <laughs> and it, because it breaks my heart. That's my point. Is it it breaks my heart that somebody 
you know, that could possibly get the loan, but we can't find them a house because these investors have all come and purchased them and and flipped them. In other words, they've upgraded them, and, and we, we'll talk, talk mm-hmm. about gentrification or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it. It does create a problem for that side of, uh, of the market. Um, but anybody else and, and, and in general, it's just a matter of watching the market and just keeping an eye out until you find the right house. Um, then you go in with a really strong offer because market in this area is still pretty strong, especially in those lower income properties. Now, if you don't have, if you've got multiple buyers on a property, then yeah, you have to come in extremely strong. If you've got one buy, if you're the only buyer, then yeah, you can begin to negotiate. And we're seeing that statewide that the sales price is lower than the asking price, whereas it hasn't been that way in the last yeah. oh, two years or so. Well, Mr. Jinx, I appreciate your time oh, here with us today, and that, that's, a, that, that's a really good um, way to break it down on uh, buying a house in this market right now. Thanks a lot for Thank joining you. us today. That's Lee Jinx from Greater McAllen Association of Realtors Join, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.